0: Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of In Our Nineteen Nineties, podcasts where your two hosts are working through ranking every album, every alternative album from the nineteen nineties, in order of their particular greatness. I am your host, Natalie, as always, and to my right is my co-host Hadrian. How are you doing, Hadrian? Alright. Any any jokes that I might get that you wanna make. Nope. We're done.
1: We're done doing jokes. You are <laughs> You are beyond help.
0: I've ruined the podcast before it even started, everybody. Um, so, tonight we're back with two more albums. And this week we're going to be taking a look at Reaching a New Refutation of Time and Space by Digital Planets from 1993. And from 1993, the Divine Comedy's Liberation. So, we're going to start off with um, Digital Planets and Reaching a New Refutation of Time and Space which is an alternative hip-hop album and it's not the first or really the best known in that genre but we did want to make sure that we're covering all our bases genre-wise within alternative and this happens to be a record that I really like a lot so um, seemed like a good place to start as far as um, alternative hip-hop goes this album really showcases a lot of the uh signposts of the genre lots of jazz samples um more political uh but maybe not overly political um lyrics and a more laid-back flow than than a lot of other contemporary rap especially gangster rap and i was actually surprised to see this one came out in 1993 because i was sure it was 91 there was a big single off the record, "The Rebirth of Slick." Cool Like that, and I remember having a cassette single of of that song, and really being sure that I bought it in 1991. But mm. apparently, I didn't. It did come out in 92 before the album, so so the that single was earlier. But I, I say I was surprised because this album is sort of. Um, a little it sounds a little earlier to me than other stuff like a tribe called quest or far side especially we're we're doing at the time
1: well it definitely has the the afrocentric vibe that tribe called quest and a few other groups had in the late 80s and going into the early 90s and really the the temperamental nature of hip-hop is like all all singles come out million years before their actual albums do because they're being they're being marketed single to single and that was very true in the scene that they were coming up through but what makes them what makes diggable planets uh, notable is that they came up through the time where music companies were realizing that rappers were sampling music they didn't there wasn't much of a market to be litigious about this that no one really cared until more and more hip-hop albums started going uh, gaining more attention and so that that's kind of wrapped into why Digable Planet sounds the way it does, because one of the things that they weren't really hitting as hard is jazz, and Digable Planets is very <laughs> jazz inspired.
0: Yeah, it's extreme, extremely extremely jazz centric. Like it, it's, I mean, Farside is also pretty much on par with Digable Planets in the regard of sampling jazz, but I mean, Digital Planets not only sample jazz and rap over it, they rap about it. A lot in in fact i would say jazz is the, the, almost the subject of every song on this album
1: well that was kind of like the the way that it's purposed it's like they're performing in a jazz club they, they're the 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 rap that you could find in a jazz club in the construct of how butterfly introduces this album
0: yeah yeah in the first track um
1: good to be here
0: yes good to be here um it is kind of bookended a lot um i think it's a really good song it kicks off with sort of a long instrumental intro that kind of builds up into the song and then has a very long outro uh i i might want to say it's too long um of him doing a sort of jazz club introduction of the band and then a fight breaks out in the audience or something and then he gets back to introducing the band for a while i don't know it's it's it it is my i don't want to get negative on this album right away because i really really like it i I do feel that it's a little corny though with all the the insect names and and the jazz club stuff like that
1: i think it was just them trying to do something to sound different because that's a big part of standing apart in a huge market like hip-hop scenes in like la and new york while they fought each other, they fought amongst themselves just as much. And trying to stand out against that, you had to have some hook, not just only in your lyrics, but also in how you performed them. So I think that was just, they knew they were chill. They knew they were of the streets. They knew they were trying to speak for the people. They wanted to talk about Marx and feminism and, talk about and be bugs while doing it.
0: Yeah, so everyone on the album took an insect name. Um, Ishmael Butler is Butterfly. Uh, Craig Irving is Doodlebug, or as a friend of mine in seventh grade was convinced that it was Doodoo Bug, not Doodlebug. And then uh, Marianne Vieira is Ladybug Mecca, and she actually was, I think, the only one who continued to go by that name after the group broke up. Uh, I know Doodlebug was also known as, like, Sea Knowledge, and I think Butterfly just became ishmael butler um but yeah they're all really good rappers um they all sound a little old school compared to the other stuff that was happening or happening around them i think i mean with like the aggression of like post nwa gangster rap and then also like the um there's a sort of n- n- non-pretentious but also intellectual feel that like a tribe called quest has and I do think that this, I don't count this against this album, but I do think it's a little pretentious. Um, like we had talked about um, the song Jimmy Digging Cats, which is basically a song about how much Jimi Hendrix would love Digital Planets if he were still alive. Uh-huh. And I, I know part of rap is, is self-aggrandizement and boasting, but I felt like that was a little specific it, you know, it goes beyond sort of, you know, I'm the best in the world to sort of specifically saying this dead music icon would really fucking love us if he had lived.
1: Yeah, and, and, but that's what I like that kind of Bagadaccio versus a lot of other groups at the time. And it's, I w- there's something inherently likable about how they present themselves, that they are just nerds. And they're just nerds doing nerd stuff before nerdcore became a completely different beast within hip hop, and I ra- I vastly prefer this to nerdcore, quite honestly. It's oh yeah, just- quite quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very uh, the it's a refutation refutation of a lot of things they wanted to go with the flow on their on their own they wanted to make their own sound they they chose jazz it was both convenient and something that no one else was doing as heavily anymore so just be chill is kind of the vibe of this entire album and
0: yeah it's extremely chill um lots of you know not not like cypress hill levels of rapping about weed but lots of rapping about weed listening to jazz um reading marks it, there's a weird, like a weirdly just everyday leftism vibe to to this record. It, like they talk about the Black Panthers, they talk about communism and socialism, but for the most part, it stays very just like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit a joint and go out in the park and and read some Marx. Like it, it's not like a. I don't know. It's not. It's not praxis. Maybe is the internet way to put it.
1: Yeah, it's it's not it's not praxis, but it is of the neighborhood, not necessarily of the streets the way people think about rap coming from the streets. But this very much came from their street. Like you get the feeling that uh, that uh, Butterfly is just rapping what he sees. And it comes down to being in there, being in that place in New York, and finding the community and calmer points of being in a large city. And that's that's there. I mean, that's there's literally an entire song about that. And I think that's it was looking at New York City in the early '90s in a way that wasn't being represented because gangster rap had come in from the West Coast and made everything way more tense. And this was very much like we can better ourselves in a way that is chill.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And there's interesting, you know, in an era that NWA was rapping about fuck the police and ice cube is, is out there, you know, going hard into the nation of Islam stuff. And then on this album, you get like, you know, there's one line about like long haired hippies and Afro, Afro blacks all getting together to, to make music and and it's just like a real like peace and love like it's afrocentric like you said but compared to like arrested development who were extremely afrocentric and also like extremely preachy about it this is just kind of a just kind of a hey let's all just you know chill out and and like get along which i think is probably part of why it didn't go over super well outside of outside of one single that was even though it's in keeping with the rest of the record kind of a novelty because you just weren't hearing a, you weren't hearing a lot of hip hop on pop radio that wasn't MC hammer or vanilla ice and B had this really strong jazz hook that nothing else you were going to hear on the radio would have. Yeah. Um, outside of that single being a big success and this album did go gold, but it it also just kind of, the group was kind of fizzled out, um, from a sales standpoint afterward. Not from a creative standpoint, because their follow-up album, Blowout Comb, is fucking amazing. And and again, this is a really good album, but Blowout Comb is way better <laughs> and way more mature than this. Also, way more aggressively political. Yeah, and um, then
1: there's, there's politics in this album, but the, there's nothing that really verge, hits, hits as hard as La Femme Yeah. Because La Femme is like... The, the whole concept is uh, Butterfly wakes up, his friend calls like, Hey, I know it's a good day, would you come over to my house? I need to talk to you about something important. And it's uh, his friend recounting that she was going to go to the abortion clinic and was being harassed and demeaned for daring to do a resp- what she felt was a responsible thing. And his response being, fuck that, you're doing the responsible thing, you're doing right by yourself, fuck anyone who'd stop you. And, yeah, yeah, and
0: and and making a, a point of like, me and and your boyfriend are here or beside you all the way on what you choose, and and not like like Arrested Development has not on their first album, but on their really sort of clunky, unsuccessful follow up album, a song about abortion, and it's like speech rapping about like, well, I, where's my say? I I should get say in this. It's not it's not just your choice. And it just you putting it next to the femme fatale, it's just like, oh Jesus Christ, what were you doing? <laughs> like, why on earth would you have these lyrics?
1: Yeah, and it's like you you get a sense for, of the of the dig, dig, of Digible planets that they mean what they say and they stand by it, and they will sit there and tell you exactly why they have the stances that they have, and it comes across that like they they're very progressive, very focused on reclaiming power from authority not through not through violence but just through the mastering tools that are at their disposal like that's why Marx's name dropped in so important it's like we come together we work together we support one another and I support your your decisions even because it's not my place to tell you what to do with your body and like yeah so in the, in a way this all is satanic so there you go <laughs>
0: Yeah, um, I, one of the reviews I read, I think it was Rolling Stones review of the album, mentioned the possible significance of the insect names being like a reference to socialism in terms of like an insect colony, which I, I know can be conceived as like not a super um, flattering way to view socialism, but it also would make sense of like you know there's there's a lot of like uh, I believe it's the the last track on the album um where it's saying we're just babies we're just babies man and and when it gets spiritual it, it sort of is this all-encompassing cosmic spirituality of you know it, the, something that lands almost closer to like rastafarianism even though they're definitely not rastafarian yeah but, but the the sort of eye and eye kind of thing
1: yeah and and there's nothing wrong with uh invoking insect colonies because even in the like terms of the current fear of murder hornets in japan like how do they how do bees deal with hornets coming to attack them they lure them inside and then rip then vibrate them to death <laughs> they come together and swarm it and vibrate the wasps to death so that's pretty crazy but the power of what you can do when you work in a group
0: yeah collective action y'all um so uh, in, inevitably like as two white people who are going to talk about hip-hop on this show we have to be careful and and not like overstep our bounds too much and one way I felt like a lot of reaction to this album and and even more so to Arrested Development at the time because Arrested Development invited it um was it seemed like a chance for a lot of white record critics to go off about how how evil gangster rap was and yeah. I, it's it's a really shitty like if you look back at stuff from that time you see these groups getting pitted against one another and it's like oh why can't you know why can't Ice Cube or Snoop Dogg be you know clean and articulate like digital Planets or a tribe called Quest and yes I'm saying that very there were pointedly they were air quotes there are air quotes and it, I'm referencing the racism um, yeah no it, and it, I don't and it's I I don't think for a second that like Digital Planets hated Ice Cube or anything. And it was this this feud that people were trying to start from outside the music. And I think it, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that's why on Blowout Comb, they do go a lot more militant. Yeah. Um. I mean, because they're, you know, talking about, not talking about themselves killing police, but talking about killing police in a, in a positive light um, <laughs> on Blowout Comb. And it just, it sucks to see that happening because... This album is great as it is, and it does not need to be put up against its opposite in terms of lyrical content and judged as like, oh, well, this is so much better because they're not expressing their politics in this violent way that Gangster Rap expressed it. And yeah. it like, violent expressions of politics are valid too.
1: I mean, political songs are not all Neil Young, and look, we can we can support political ideas and never want to listen to Neil Young. So these things are, music is music and it's buried. And if you, the best way to think think about this is that if you ask artists about the the hip hop they like, that they make, they may make gangster rap, but then you ask them, who do you respect? And I've heard lots of people talk about the way Diggable Planets did things. They really liked the whole package. They, They liked how smooth it was. They liked how calm they were. Because there was a lot to be said for that cold confidence of just smoothly saying your saying your lyrics, and I don't think for a hot second Ice Cube could do the same thing, because that's not his voice. That's not yeah. That's not the kind of music that he makes, and it's not the kind of uh, presence that he has when he performs. He can be sincere. He's very sincere all the fucking time, but it's a different level of sincerity.
0: Yeah, and Ice Cube is fucking awesome. And Snoop is fucking awesome. And Dre was, you know, had his moments. <laughs> he was a fucking <laughs> awesome producer. Um, but but yeah, these things are... These- it, like, it, you 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 don't just have to pick one style. And it, it, it's like, to me, it's like, I don't know, pitting Kurt Cobain against Juliana Hatfield. Wow. Like, to, to put it in white people terms of the 90s. Like, <laughs> Kurt Cobain was much more militant. Juliana Hatfield was much more sort of personal and and almost confused at times and and that was a good voice for some of the stuff she expressed and this is the same way it's just two different two different uh strategies for empowering black people at the time yeah and and gangsta rap took sort of a top down you know we're gonna fucking murder the people who are holding us back and Digital planets took kind of a bottom up let's you know let's form a commune and and make life better locally and then we'll expand out from there
1: yeah and, the, and these sounds come from very different environments like new york hip-hop was much more like dance and group centric because that's what it was being played in clubs like it was being played in the latin quarter it was being played were places where different boroughs came together and when things got violent it was when boroughs started fighting one another about who had the better claim to rap and so tensions always got heated <laughs> but these things This is early. This is early on in hip-hop, obviously, what I'm talking about here. But, like, things sound different because they come from different life experiences. There's more accessible jazz records than I think in New York than you might find in, say, Compton. Like, I don't know. It's (laughs) That's just the way, what they're sampling, what they're finding, what they're using... Music sounds different based on where you are because of the environment that you're in. So, yeah, one gangster rap. Oh, sorry, and people who try to pit different styles of rap against one another just need to chill the fuck out. (laughs) Yeah,
0: (laughs) I mean, gangster rap borrowed more in terms of samples from from funk, and there's definitely some funk on uh, this record too. But and funk
1: was brought to you by way of jazz musicians branching out, like people who learned to play instruments formally were like this is a beat and then went with it
0: yeah yeah um and and the funk that's on here is more of a classic funk as opposed to like a parliament like at- atomic dog heavy heavy synth baseline <laughs> funk like yeah. dre was sampling um and they're both excellent musically um I, I will express my preference. for I've always liked East Coast rap better than West Coast rap. I, sorry if that offends people, but I'll I'll take A Tribe Called Quest and Dateable Planets and, and even the Beastie Boys over a lot of West Coast stuff. Um, I, I
1: lo- note how she doesn't talk about Atlanta.
0: No, I, I liked some... I went through a Yingying Ying Twins and Lil John phase <laughs> in, in the early 2000s. Um, we'll definitely be talk- talking about Outcast later on this show, not this show, but yeah. later on this series. No, um, I, w-
1: I was just teasing you. A lot of people forget about the those like tremendous Southern uh, the oh, rap yeah. scene, yeah, and, and just the like vast queerness of it in a lot <laughs> of ways. So,
0: yeah, I don't know. I feel like I feel like maybe East Coast rap is like the least queer. I don't know. Uh, I feel like there's, I feel like the West Coast, there's some real, you know, the friendship of men (laughs) is is real important and maybe, maybe means more than that sometimes. (laughs) I
1: don't know, but different places, different sounds. I I don't have a preference really. Uh, I mean, I listened to trap a lot when I was younger because that was what was around me. So yeah, people would say that I have zero taste.
0: Hey, I like Lil Wop, unironically. So it'd come <laughs> at me about I'm, that, and
1: I'm super into bounce. Like, I, yeah, there's
0: nothing wrong with bounce.
1: Nothing wrong with bounce. It's the gayest of all.
0: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um. So yeah, I. So I.
1: My favorite track on this album is the one before their single, "Time and Space," and "New Refusion."
0: Yeah, that one's really great.
1: I think it's just. There's a line where he's just like. Ends with pleasurable naps. And I'm like, damn. (laughs) Yeah, I'm feeling this. I want pleasurable naps.
0: (laughs) I always assumed he meant hair.
1: I think he meant naps, as in. I mean, he does talk about.
0: Maybe it's a double entendre. Maybe. Nappy hair and naps.
1: It just got. I just had a vibe. It was like. It it hit me like taking a nap. And I'm like. (laughs) I don't care what he means, but I really want to nap.
0: I think that the best song in the album is probably the second track, Pacifics.
1: Uh, Yeah, it's pretty good.
0: It's also the least representative of their sound at this point. It's way, the the jazz samples are scaled way back on that one, but it, it sounds the most contemporary, uh, or not the most contemporary, but the most timeless, I guess. Like I think if, if you were going to pull one song off this album and put it on a compilation or on a movie soundtrack today, like, that would be the one, because it is, unless you're going for a really, um, like, really trying to pull someone out by hitting them with this, you know, oh, holy shit, here's here's some fucking jazz all of a sudden.
1: (laughs) I I like uh, Where I'm From a lot. I don't know, my my favorite songs in this album are just sort of next to the ones that would be more standout.
0: Yeah, I don't think Rebirth of Slate is, like, the best song on the album by by a long shot. You're or even cool one of like my that. favorites. You're not too um, like that. I still liked that song. It just it got overplayed. I mean that was like a big time radio hit at the time and and that I was, you know, twelve or twelve years old or so.
1: And it's the and I think it's the best example of them using jazz to it to its strength because that... When the line's end with, I'm cool like that, I'm cool like that, I'm cool like that, I'm cool. <laughs> like, that's a very jazz progression to just yeah. do the same thing, but play it, do it slightly differently as you finish that. Because you get the conversational tone of the words, even though the word is repetitive. So, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I, I think that the only two songs that I'm not... I'm not a huge fan of Jimmy Digging Cats, but it's okay. I think Swoon Units is annoying. Yeah, Swoon Units the, is the has the sample of the woman going, what's happening, butterfly? What's happening? It like goes through the whole song. And it's just like, no, that... that Yeah. That's, that's That was not necessary to have that sample that's already kind of an annoying sample and then just run it through the entire track.
1: And now you know how I felt about that Momus song. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> and then the final song on the album, I don't think, is like super awesome either it's like a thing i noticed about the albums we're doing this week they both have the weakest two songs or the last two songs on both albums
1: yeah but uh nickel bags pretty great because a nickel bag of funk is a great line and yeah. i want that that song it's get stuck in my head and it's one that i i would turn on as i was listening throughout the week and just like Put that
0: one on. So let me ruin the song "Last of the Spidiochs" for everybody who happens to be listening and have an iPhone. So you know the alarm I use on my iPhone, the bells, because mm-hmm. it's the only one that's loud enough to wake me up. Because iPhone alarms are terrible and quiet. So that bell, the melody of those bells, is, to me is exactly the same as the trumpet sample in "Last of the Spidiochs." The one that's like da 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 da. Mm-hmm. And so every morning when I wake up, the first thing that pops into my head is Last of the Spitty Hours, <laughs> and has been that way for at least 10 years now. Wow. The first thing I think of every morning is Last of the Spitty Hours, which is a good thing that's one of my favorite songs on the album, or I might have lost my fucking shit by now.
1: Well, I guess we need to hook up the, the echoes in the bedroom and just let it play play that song at you. <laughs>
0: yeah um okay i think we're probably ready to to rate this one unless you have anything else to say about it
1: no i think it's an overall a really good album and if you don't know much about alternative hip-hop it's probably a good place to start it's not super definitive like definitive of the genre but it gets you going and it's a it's good to learn about it and learn about what they were doing and the sounds they were they were working with
0: and learn about what was like a big hit because Tribe Called Quest and De La Soul—they didn't really have major hit singles. No, um,
1: but you can definitely get both De La Soul and Tribe Called, Tribe Called Quest in what Diggle Plans was doing. There's there is a yeah. very definite through line there.
0: Yeah. So,
1: I mean, even De La Soul didn't know what was a fucking hit because they did that one song that everyone knows as a joke. They were <laughs> stare. They were sorry. <laughs> no,
0: it's all right. Um, so it's I guess so. Now that we're each picking an album each week, maybe the person who pitched the album gets to have the first suggestion of where it goes, yeah. and I think this would be a good new number four, uh, be- just behind What's the Story, Morning Glory, and above Monster.
1: You know what? Yeah, I'm not going to fight you on that one. I think it's I think that's a good place. I would have been fine above or below What's the Story, Morning Glory, but I know I don't like that album very much, and I think this one... Again, it's one I would go back to and listen to. And that is my only reason there. And yeah. it's, it's more just like, I just don't think anyone is out here. Just, I man, I'm going to listen to Oasis unless your name is Nomdar.
0: I still listen to Oasis. Um, I still listen to one Oasis album. And it is the one that is currently at number three on our list. <sighs> so my argument for putting this below Oasis, and, and again, we're going to have this every time we have an album going into this area on the list even though these lyrics are light years ahead of oasis's lyrics i also think that the I, I do think that you have to sort of count the the insect stuff and the cartoonish sort of jazz club stuff I, there, I feel like that counts against the album because just because of put this next to tribe called quest or or next to snoop dog and it feels like a saturday morning cartoon. yeah and
1: and, and butterfly has a very uh Certain flow to how he he raps that doesn't really change, and when he gets at the, at its worst, it's very hip hop, hip to the hop. And it's just yeah. like, oh boy. It's, I mean, this they find. <laughs> Why are you doing?
0: The, the digital Planets started working together in '87, and that shows. Yes, like, very they much. They definitely so. sound old school in a way that most of their contemporaries, even Arrested Development, don't. And it, it and I think you that all. At least on this record counts against it. When we eventually get to blowout comb, I'm not going to have those complaints. No, and, and that- I think and
1: I think that's fair. I, I think it's fair. It's definitely better than Monster. Uh, I personally think it's better than What's the Story Warning Glory, but I am not going to fight that because it does have some very weak elements. And
0: yeah, the more and think- also it was it just didn't really. I mean, it's kind of forgotten at this point. Whereas the whereas most of their contemporaries are still remembered. Yeah. so so yeah that's why that's my chase for number four and if you agree then
1: it's the new number four
0: that's the new number four all right let's take a quick break and then we'll come back with some divine comedy And we are back to talk about our second album of the night, which is Liberation by the Divine Comedy, released in 1993. And because this was a Hadrian's pick, and he is definitely the Divine Comedy expert between the two of us, I'm going to let him take it away and start us off here.
1: All right, so this album is beautiful. I think that's the, the first thing you have to get out of the way. It is a, a ridiculous symphony of, a, of, a, of an album that is miscategorized constantly as chamber pop or baroque pop when neil Hannon was really just kind of doing his own damn thing and you might know neil Hannon uh, if you've ever seen the hitchhiker's guide movie the 2000 uh, movie and the soundtrack to father ted he did the intro song and my lovely lovely horse and a few other pieces that were featured in that show uh just to get a to get a sense of what this album is like, uh, he got fucked up on decadence, and then a lot of F. Scott Fitzgerald, and then Anton Chekhov.
0: I like the way you say that, like it's a drug. He did a lot of F. Scott Fitzgerald. <laughs>
1: no, no, seriously, you get fucked up on on these things, and then you can't stop. And that's really what this album is. It's not his fir- It's not the Divine Comedy's first album. Because he has erased fanfare from the com- for the comic muse out of history, though we know where it is. We have, <laughs> so, uh,
0: yeah, it's on our hard drive.
1: <laughs> so we'll be able to do that one as well because it was released in 1990. But this one is liberation, and it is him freeing himself from the constraints of popular music and doing his own damn thing and doing something that is ridiculously good.
0: Yeah, and just to um, fill in the backstory, there the. The first album, Fanfare for the Common Muse, was basically jingle pop, um, very much in the style of of like McCarthy and even early My Bloody Valentine stuff that was popular in the way that indie music is popular, not necessarily like charting in England at the time, and it, it hewed very closely to that in a way that clearly was not satisfying to him artistically. I I didn't think that they were particularly great at the genre, because um, it, it is a genre that I liked a lot, but I, I don't love that album. And um, freeing himself from that was, was the best possible artistic move he could make.
1: Yeah, and I think that that was the best thing for his career overall, because he strikes me as someone who definitely wanted to make music and is very good at composing music. He is a composer, uh, like full stop. He knows how to make music sound good, and he can do a wide range of things but trying to fit a mold that would sell I think was his downfall and so Liberation fixes that and just right off the bat you get uh, Festive Road which is sort of sets the tone for the album and it's just a little bit like out there a little bit of strings just it's
0: it's just piano isn't
1: it it, it has a little bit of string but it's mostly piano but it's a sort of like Dun, 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 dun. it's very twinkly and trying to set a sense of place which then dives immediately into this the, one of the most amazing <laughs> songs on the album uh death of a supernaturalist which begins with oh gosh see i even had it written down <laughs> and i fucked it up
0: even had it underlined
1: reach whole, all day
0: daniel day lewis
1: yes sorry no i was reading the thing so a lot of the albums So this one begins with a quote from A Room with a View by Ian e. Forster, uh spoken by Julian Sands and Daniel Day Lewis, which is My father says there's only one perfect view, and that's the sky above our heads. I suspect your father's been reading Dante. And like that's <laughs> and there, the, there
0: is no better introduction to this album than that. Really no. That and <laughs>
1: Festive Road might as well not be on there, because if you hear that, yeah. you're just like, okay, I'm in for a I f I'm in for a fucking ride.
0: Yeah, it's it. Festival is very whimsical, and I believe based on a children's show.
1: Yes, it's a, a, tr- a tribute to the show Mister Ben. Okay, so a lot of this album, it was really Neil Hannon like pulling from his history and his influences and his interests, and I think he was just like, I want to make a literary album, and then it was like, I want to make a referential album, but he manages to make those things work because a lot of artists who try to do i'm gonna do a referential al- album they sound terrible they sound forced they and nothing about this album really sounds forced i don't think
0: no nope.
1: it, it's just this elegant flow of, of composition
0: actually i take it back there is one thing that sounds forced and that's his vocals on pop Senior's fear of the Fallen count
1: well he doesn't sing pop music and that's kind of the problem like he
0: yeah we can get to that in, the, in a little bit
1: But uh, an overview of just all the literary stuff that's going on here. So Ian Forster with Room for the View. Uh, Time Watching is inspired by the popular song When I Fall in Love. Lucy is an amalgamation of three Lucy poems by William Wordsworth. Three Sisters is about the play of the same name by Anton Chekhov. *Bernie's Bob's Her Hair is based on the short story of the same name by F. Scott Fitzgerald. And Your Daddy's Car also has an approximated ending line from the great Gatsby
0: well that's my theory I don't know that I think that it's is, very uh... I
1: think it's supposed to be there because it's it's very when I when I say that this album is about decadence when you when we talk about like decadent literature we people often ignore the the 20s and the 30s in the Weimar Republic even though that all should count and Fitzgerald was definitely writing from a decadent perspective and that really influences a lot of the posturing of this album it's all Stupid problems and hedonistic despair and just—it's there. It—it it is. It is a decadent thing. But the death of supernaturalist is one of the most beautiful songs I have ever heard in my life, and it needed to be everywhere. Hold on, while I mute my goddamn watch. So the the well, we we've, we've had some some issues with lyrics in the past on this show. This episode is different because, as we said, Digable Planet's lyrics were fairly great for
0: yeah, yeah for the
1: kind of hip-hop they were doing, and really in comparison to everything else we've listened to.
0: couple of caveats on that, but yeah, I mean, aside from the cartoonishness, the, the basic thrust of the lyrics is great. And also, I mean, we can't overlook Momus, yes. who is always great lyrically.
1: But that's less than half of, including the this Divine Comedy album, that's less than half of the albums that we've got right now. They're, they're like lyrically strong. Yeah. And so this is Death of Supernaturalist is a beautiful song that is very poetic and just the the, the song opens with see my solitude where once was truth no only doubt touch my tortured skin torn from within and from without kiss my blistered lips my fingertips frost bitten and gray heal my wound within and watch the dead skin fall away and like you get that and you're just like okay, I'm in for a ride. And this song is just very, as it, as it continues, it just gets in more intense with the composition. It's, you need to pause the podcast and go listen to that song because it is very good.
0: <laughs> yeah, that that is one of my two favorite songs on the album for sure. Um, my other favorite is Your Daddy's Car. Which is not the cardigan song of the same title. Um, they have nothing to do with each other. But it's um has it has a very um stereotypically like 50s sitcom feel to it with with uh, plucked strings and um i
1: feel it has a very like uh like 50s educational film like supermarket jingle sound
0: yeah that too (laughs) the the best thing i can think to compare it to is if you listen to a lot of shibu Shibu uh the song trailer music by pizzicato 5 it sounds really similar to that song on the verses and then when it hits the chorus it takes this like a more melancholy turn which could fail spectacularly But because Neil Hannon is such a good composer, it works perfectly and makes both elements better.
1: He makes the case for having a chorus and a bridge really strongly. Like, these elements of pop songs can sometimes be very rote, or people are mechanically filling in what they know needs to be in a song. But Neil doesn't do that. He just plays around with how music feels and sounds, and it just ebbs and flows around what he wants to do.
0: Yeah, he almost never does the thing that has been a constant complaint throughout the series so far, which is bands get to the end of a song and don't know how to end their song, so they just keep repeating the chorus. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, as we listen to more grunge, eventually, um, you know, they'll just let the guitar's feedback for a minute and a half at the end because they don't know how to end a song. (laughs) Neil Hannon knows how to end a song. He he can wrap it up and it these the songs on this album kind of flow together more um they they kind of just run right one into the other sometimes it'll be like a sample that breaks them up but um
1: because uh from I i was born yesterday flowing into bernie's bob's hair like that is like the sound
0: i think it's the other way around isn't
1: it maybe it is but i will look at the i will look at the thing because i'm doing the same fucking mistakes Yes, it's uh, Bernie's pops Her hair flows into "I Was Born Yesterday," and just like that, that kind of flow is just nice. And it's something that I didn't get when I first heard this al- first heard this album because I didn't have an ability to, s- to listen to something that had uh, no gaps between the playback. Yeah, but CDs sucked for a lot of <laughs> for a lot of reasons. The
0: nineties are we are gonna run into so much stuff that was not meant to be listened to on streaming, uh, and. Yeah, it's going to be a, an ongoing issue throughout this podcast.
1: But but your daddy's car is of special note as well for lyrics because the whole the whole idea is like the 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 two characters in the song take a take a car and they drive around for hours. They go to the sea. They go buy the biggest bottle of champagne they can find, and then they drink it while they're driving, and they crash the car because they get so they have so much fun driving. It's they're bored with it, and they just crash the car for no reason and it's it's the 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 chorus of the song is really what really makes it worth it which is can you feel the sadness in our love it's the only kind we're worthy of can you feel the madness in our hearts as the key turns and the engine starts and like that's just this is a a something sorry this is going to continue throughout neil Hannon's career where he just has songs that are so well composed they're around an idea a concept and a feeling that is so strong and he is truly putting poetry to music and it's staggering the depth of emotion he can get out of a song and a later album in this in this decade has one of the best songs he's ever written but for now this is one of the second best song he's written (laughs) so far
0: I'm completely at a loss of which song you're talking about.
1: Uh, don't look down.
0: Oh, oh, yeah. Don't look down is wonderful. I, I think anthem. of that. As, I don't think of that as like a really emotionally resonant song. It's kind of funny.
1: Well, I think it's 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 cathartic in a way because of people who want to shout at God.
0: Yeah, and I he's mean, literally shouting at God. Neil Hannon is very Irish and fucked up on religion.
1: Yep, but that's. The, the artistry carries through which is important but so the first few song tracks of this album all flow in this very tingly orchestral way until you get to europop and didn't you say there was a dis- an original version of this song yeah
0: apparently there's another version that's nothing like this because this uh, this version is a europop song i mean it, it's sudden all of a sudden it's a synth and drum machine dance track in the middle of all this orchestral pop
1: yeah and there's a a b-side that I can't find what album it ever ever would have been on because I've been to a marvelous party which is just him describing a party in vile bodies where he's talking over about what everyone's doing and then i couldn't have liked it more and then it's like do 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 yeah doo. then
0: it turns into the, like this just stomping house track on the toruses and then <laughs> yeah and then it goes back to uh, isn't it like solo piano on the verse mm-hmm. and, then and he's
1: just like scratched to the knee with a cartier pin and like like that's li- literally a line from the song um
0: yeah your he mom's has not, the... that ex-
1: not that not <laughs>
0: No, it's. I mean, it's pretty much just a straight early 90s dance track through the whole thing. Uh, Neil Hannon has some of the um, same strengths that like Stephen Merritt has as a songwriter, which is that he is conversant with nearly every form of music and talented enough to write for it. I, I think that Neil Hannon, when he does go way out of his comfort zone, he sounds a little more natural. Mm -hmm. um when Stephen Merritt goes goes off into like oh I'm gonna do like an indie rock song as opposed to my usual folky chamber pop type stuff which I I know it's an imperfect description I'm doing the best I can with language here um when Stephen Merritt does it I feel like it's sort of like the uh like the Ernie Ball songbook for beginning guitarists. Oh, yeah, like Here is a very standard and time-tested way of doing this, whereas Neil Hannon feels like he is more just, like, into it. (laughs) I don't
1: know. Yeah, well, there's an excellent example of that in the sixth album where... Neil Hannon does a song that Stephen Merritt performs on his own frequently, which is the dead only Quickly decay. And when Neil Hannon sings it, it is just, it sounds like a fucking divine comedy song. Yeah. Priest and fools say we're only animate clay and like that shit just pops and it works. Stephen sings it and it works, but it's not, it doesn't have this. There's a lounge singer aspect to Neil Hannon that he controls in a very great way
0: yeah, I mean, he's definitely a better singer than Stephen Merritt. Yes,
1: he is. But I've, I've heard I've heard Stephen Merritt versions of the Momus song from that album and the uh, Sailor in Love with the Sea. And I just... It kind of shows that he can write music for other people more than he can perform it himself in a lot of cases. And this that was one of those songs. But I recommend listening to Dead Only Quickly Decay because it is a great example of how... Neil sounds like Neil no matter what he does. He can just make a song his own. And that's what he, the, the, what Liberation comes down to, is he's making his his sound his own, and it needed to, to happen.
0: Yeah, and so now let's say negative things about this album, because so far we've just gushed, and I do think there are negative things to say about this album.
1: Oh yeah, I think, uh, for, for me, I think that it has disjointed pacing. I think... From Bert, from festive road to time watching, it all is kind of a cohesive album. And then the pop singer's of the pollen count, which is this oddly Beatlesy kind of pop song. I don't know. It's like not even that's not even a good description. But I don't know how else to say it. It is. It's a very like sixties.
0: It's kind of swingy. A yeah, but it's also just. You can picture Tallulah Clark singing it, but maybe yeah. not with these lyrics. Maybe
1: more Kings-like, wait, I don't
0: know. Clark, sorry. Jesus Christ, I was singing to Tallulah, gosh. we <laughs> over here thinking about twee Pop.
1: I like, like you do. But yeah, the song is just very, I get hay fever sometimes. And it's like, <laughs> why?
0: Well, no, it's it, it can be a great song, as you see on the Secret History album, where mm-hmm. he re-records it, and it's fantastic. On this album, so there is a distinct silliness that is part of the Divine Comedy. but not
1: very pre- prevalent on this album.
0: Right. The, the and In fact, this song is kind of the first time you ever see him experiment with. I mean, you can say Festive Road, but and Festive Brody's Road is... And Brody's boxer hair is also... It, that's, yeah, that song's not fun. Like It's not like silly, nonsensical silly. It's not like, can you stand up on one leg or, um, Mm -hmm. the drinking song or even I've been to a marvelous party is like this, but at this point he, he sounds extremely self-conscious when he tries to be silly, his voice changes entirely. Mm -hmm. And that is because he does kind of a talky intro to the song where he's like, are you ready? One, two, three, Go. Yeah. And that's kind of how he sounds on the better recording on this album. He's like, are you ready? One, two, three, go. It's just like, do I really want to do that? He sounds embarrassed to be doing it. Yeah. And uh, And I I I don't want to harp a whole lot on this one song because I don't even think that's the I mean, it's a minor downfall in what is otherwise a good song. But the fact that he did re-record the song later shows how much he grew from this album.
1: Oh, yeah, his sound just matures each album. I think he beca- he develops new skills each time, which is infuriating, but also Im- incredibly impressive. You wish you were as talented as Neil Hannon? <laughs>
0: yeah, um, I, I specifically do. Um, <laughs> but that gets to my bigger point that I do feel like it's the album is kind of one note emotionally. It's very, not dour, but it, it's very... I am a sad literature boy
1: (laughs) can relate. And
0: even, (laughs) even when he tries to do a happy song, he still sounds like a sad literature boy who almost, it's almost like he, he wants to do that song, but he knows that the other Smiths fans who will listen to him are going to like shit on the song when they hear it. And, and it's, again, it's totally natural. You can totally understand how he's feeling because he is doing a very, I mean, the audience for this music is not to, is not known for liking frivolous shit and he wants to do frivolous shit. And when he does it on subsequent albums, it's really good and, or it can be really good. Um, It, but it's not great here. And as a consequence, he avoids doing it. And as a consequence, it's just the album is a little bit dour
1: Yes, and th- he was pulling from rather dour sources. Like, Three Sisters is based on an Anton Chekhov play. That was not going to be a fun time for anybody.
0: Right, but like, you can do that and then later on have a song that's about something else. And oh. It's okay. <laughs>
1: well, yeah, and then later on he has Lucy, which is based on three Williams War- William Wordsworth play, uh, yeah. poems. And
0: this is why I, you know, am going to compare it somewhat unfavorably to the philosophy of Momus. It, also, un, somewhat unfairly, because that was Momus after many, many albums, and this is his, Neil Hannon on his second album and his first to really do this style of music. Yeah. But and still, it, it's. I mean, yeah, if you want to go back to the first two Momus albums, he was very dour, and there's not really a lot of fun to be had on those albums.
1: I like me some dour pop boys.
0: Um, but. But it's. I guess it's just thinking. It, it, it's it's more that you see it trying to climb it trying to claw its way out here and him holding it back
1: yeah the the whole album I mean almost every song deals with some aspect of of escapism or liberation it it, it, it varies bit based on the 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 concept the context but even pop singers fear the pollen count is him trying to escape pollen like <laughs> yeah but it it's it's an it's an album in flux for a reason it's like but it if it didn't exist you wouldn't have any of these other amazing things that come afterward but it is it stands as this very poignant shift in the sound of music because he influenced so many fucking people after this dropped and he he just no one knows where to classify the Divine Comedy. He gets lumped into Britpop all the time, because where else do you put it? You know, it's like, uh, popular British music just sounded fucking weird, so he's with that. Even though he should be his own category of just Neil Hannon music.
0: Yeah, it, there's nothing else exactly like it. I I don't think Baroque pop is bad. Um, I, I do think that, like other stuff that gets classified in that way tends to take itself even more seriously. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Even though I was just complaining about this album taking itself too seriously, I I don't actually think it does. Um, I have complex feelings on, on the emotional state of this album. (laughs) And he
1: definitely inspired like uh, the, the development of more intellectual electro swing, which was uh, done best by the real Tuesday weld. Which I think you can compare a lot to the Divine Comedy in the way that he writes his songs because the like the, the Times the, the Life and Times of the Clerkenwell Kid is very much like a Divine Comedy album. And I Lucifer, where he just has him in the role of Lucifer, jauntily talking over a song about how London will humble you and destroy you. It's 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 a that's the kind of that's what I feel neil hannon has has inspired but even the real tuesday well is hard to classify because he gets like is he chamber pop is he baroque pop is he electro swing because he's technically doing electro swing and he's he sampled all these songs that all these other bands have been doing even though white town arguably did it before any of them and it's just it's annoying
0: (laughs) yeah and ultimately doesn't matter i mean who cares how you what genre you classify it in it's it's great music either way yeah
1: i just feel like we needed we need more diverse genres for how to describe music like this because there's a lot of it
0: well this is what's beautiful about the 90s though i mean you you have this and loveless coming out you know very close to each other it couldn't possibly be more different
1: and the 90s went downhill from there
0: but we're both kind of considered you know it to some extent considered pop music at the time yeah not in the sense that it was actually that popular. Uh, I guess Loveless was pretty... For a record that sounds like Loveless, it was very popular in the mainstream. <laughs> wow,
1: so AllMusic gave this album a three three stars out of five.
0: Uh, so worse than Space Hog, Yeah, what they saying. fucking rated this worse than Space Hog. Uh, what yeah, a well.
1: fucking... It's a travesty. <laughs> travesty! I'm
0: sure it wasn't written by the same person. Um, and if it was, God help them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah so so like the first album uh the digital planets album we the last two songs are the weakest on this record and one of those two is Europe by train <laughs> which is a song that can eat my whole ass. that song's so bad.
1: I think it's a functional song but but it's designed to, Flow it's between.
0: Basically, Eastern European folk music played on heavily distorted electric guitar with industrial percussion. It's a train. He's and emulating a train. Sound. I appreciate that you tried something, but you should have, once you heard it, realized that it failed spectacularly. <laughs> I um, don't have the
1: same strong reaction to it that you do, but I get it. I think that it does t- invoke the sense of a train. And that's escapism. A train leaving the station. Well, yeah,
0: he just shouldn't have done. It's it's the guitar that that kills it. Like melodically, it's fine. It would be really good if he had played it on traditional instruments. Um, but really, for whatever reason, this was like the other song on the album where he was like, "What if I just go completely out of left field on this one instead of instead of going the classical route?"
1: Yeah, it's 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 similar. The, the, really, the best train song like this, is uh, Interlude by Blur, which you might have noticed if you listen to the Baby Driver soundtrack is on that, and it's the scene where he's fleeing from the botched robbery. So it's very like, it's a, 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 but there they're invoking a train by the song just getting progressively harder and faster and like a train chugging down the tracks. Which I think is more effective than Europe than the Europe by Train. But I still don't mind this song as much as you do.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I hate it.
1: And then Lucy's just a pop song.
0: Yeah, Lucy's fine. Lucy is very much in the the mold of his previous album.
1: But I think altogether it just functions.
0: As, uh, the whole album, you mean? Yes, I think it all oh, yeah, yeah, flows sure. and
1: functions with minor upsets. But it's so, all right. Uh, I think this is the best damn ni- album of the 90s. Natalie. (laughs)
0: Natalie. Um, Okay, so... Let let me give you my argument for why this is the second best album of the 90s. I love The Philosophy of Moments. (laughs) Yes, we know. So it really does, for me, come down to... This is... Less... Successful at what it does then philosophy of Momus is it what it does after the first six tracks. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, it, it, what it really did wear on me throughout the album. Um, the, the lack of different, uh, different um, emotional tones throughout the album really did. It, it's, he just sounds so detached from the subjects and it's, it's a thing he fixes on later records but it it did get tiring listening to just the same sort of stagey voice that he's singing in um, before he's really learned to emote with that voice. And I just feel like, whereas Momus has actually fucked in an elevator in Yokohama Chinatown, <laughs> I don't believe for a second that Neil Hannon ever wrapped his girlfriend's dad's car on a tree just because, just for the hell of it.
1: Well, I don't think he would because you don't have to actually do the things that you sing about in songs as we made the point we made on discussing the philosophy <laughs> of Bomus.
0: Right, you don't, but I want you to make me believe that you do.
1: Yeah, and I get that, but my argument is that this album is a thesis for the rest of his career. It is a it is a freeing himself of the bonds and expectations of, of popular music taking control of his sound and it evolves over time. But the idea, the album is cohesive in that it is an album of liberation. It is an album of freeing yourself from situations or concepts or states of being that that works and the, and it's, it's a cohesive album. The philosophy of moments. How many songs do we skip before we say it is the philosophy of moments?
0: It's uh, virtual Valerie on, is then, the philosophy of Momus and the first six songs are the back EP,
1: and that's not. I mean, that's fine. That album is fine, but Liberation is a stronger candidate for a the best album of the 1990s presently, because it is a cohesive mode. It may be, yeah, maybe it's one emotional state, but that one emotional state is incredibly important to the subject, like he wanted to free himself of expectation and he fucking did it. He did his own damn thing. All music didn't like it, but fuck all music. (laughs) And I didn't, I didn't look at the stars previously and now I'm very (laughs) mad. Fuck all music. And they're wrong. (laughs) And this album is brilliant and beautiful. And it is incredibly vital. (laughs) To the rest of this man's career and its prominence and its cohesiveness is ridiculous. It is ridiculous for someone who just decides to change their entire mode of making music. He went from guitars and drums to how about I have it a fucking orchestra?
0: Yeah, and the- how about I just lay, in, lay into the harpsichord here in 1993?
1: We didn't even mention the harpsichords, the fucking harpsichords. How can you deny us an album with so many harpsichords? <laughs> It's rightful place at number one. This
0: well, then once we get to the Little Red songbook, you you better... Like I said, how can
1: you deny a song, uh, an album with so many harpsichords, it's rightful place at number one. <laughs> However, this is not the Little Red songbook, so we are discussing Liberation. And Liberation is presently the best album of the 90s because we don't have to skip all these fucking songs, and it doesn't have that goddamn girlish boy song on it. <laughs> I'm sorry, Momus, I hate that fucking song. <laughs> bad song
0: well you're you're showing a passion that neil hannon failed to
1: it was there it was wanting to be freed liberated shall shall we say yeah
0: and i'm still gonna fight on that because for an album that's all about liberation he seems hell bound to not express any emotions
1: Because he's fucked up on decadence. You don't have emotions. You just have states of being that are slowly decaying.
0: It's like the album is gorgeous and it is moving in its beauty, but it's not moving in the performances.
1: But I think it is functionally a better presentation piece than the philosophy of moments. If I wanted to hand someone a moments album, I would not handle the philosophy of moments. Like if I wanted to like, this is the first was on my way to listen to. Liberation would be the first Divine Comedy album I would give you. Be like, this is the thesis. This is where everything else, this is what everything else builds on. And if you don't have this, it's fine. You don't need it. But if you have it, then you get to see his career unfold over time. You get to see how he gets from singing about an F. Scott Fitzgerald story that was in the Saturday Post to writing an entire album about middle management middle managers killing one another for promotions like it's
0: (laughs) (sighs) yeah so and i do think i mean just because we are like wrapping up i i want to say all my all my piece about this album um i do think that it is not an album that is an album for today because it is very upper middle class english and it is very into the leisure of aristocrats (laughs) and that does not play in 2020
1: I don't think it's in the the leisure of aristocrats I mean Bernie's Bobster hair is about ostensibly probably upper middle class girls getting into fights coming into a social circle all of the 1920s which was you know modes of escapism and uh, feminist empowerment uh, the, the early stages of it and then the wreckage of people going to fight for petty social squabbles. Like, it, I think that's very relevant to today. And I think the supernaturalist is very... No, no, un- I'm not
0: going to let you have that one. As, as, I'm not going to let you have something that's completely rooted in 19th century supernaturalism as in any way relevant to 2020. Uh,
1: a lot of new goths, okay? A lot of new goths with their crystals. And...
0: Are they holding seances?
1: Bitch, you don't know.
0: With Probably. Harry Houdini. I mean,
1: look, he Houdini <laughs> didn't believe in it, so uh, a lot of healthy skepticism, and you know, people debunking more skepticism.
0: No, no, you lost that point. <laughs> I'm but right, it, and you're wrong. It, so I, I'm willing to let this be the new number one. Because um, you
1: have many more opportunities for...
0: Yeah, I mean, Philosophy of Momus is not Time Lord. It's not Voyager. There are other Momus albums that I I will fight way harder for as the best alternative album when their time comes. Um, I'm not sure that there's another Divine Comedy album I will fight this hard for. Pro- I would probably fight as hard for Promenade.
1: And it's really the only one that would, would tackle it, but right only now... Only because
0: it's so much more polished at... Uh, I. Polish is kind of a dirty word for me from a production standpoint, but that's not what I mean. I mean, he's he found is, himself fully. Yeah, he found he's, himself. He's as liberated, an and now
1: he's on a, a proper path.
0: Yeah, yeah. That, like I don't feel like that has that album has any of the stumbling blotch that I'm complaining about on this one.
1: Yeah, and the, this album is is suitably messy for someone who has just kicked off a whole new sound, and I think that should be respected. I think that. Despite this, like even though this album is "quote unquote" messy compared to the rest of his work, like it is just not as polished or refined or on the as fully explored as his later work, it's really fucking good.
0: Yeah, for... even even that that said, like the level of compositional skill on this album for a, a you know indie pop record in 1993 is off the charts. Like, like you have is... to respect that about it.
1: I would, I would, I would fight so much. This would be one of the best albums of ninety three. Full stop. Oh like, yeah, I'm
0: sure it is. Like, like, it's it's hard to think of
1: all music. Be damned! I'm gonna fucking find that person.
0: A whole lot that's gonna be way better than this.
1: I'm going to find out who wrote that article
0: <laughs> and shame them here on the air. Maybe
1: shame them on the air. Oh, I can't find it. Oh well.
0: Okay. Well, if you've failed to find. That Then I'm going to go ahead and set this on stone and read off our new top eight albums Alternative albums of the 1990s thus far uh, At one, number one is Liberation At number two is the philosophy of Momus by Momus Number three eight arms to hold you by Veruca Salt Number four what's the story morning glory by Oasis number five reach in a new refutation of time and space by digital planets Number six, Monster by R.E.M. Number seven, Manscaped by Wire. And number eight, Resident, A- Resident Alien by Space Hog. I almost said Resident Evil that time. Got through <laughs> the whole podcast when we talked about it without <laughs> saying Resident Evil, and I almost said Resident Evil this time.
1: All right, so the reason that this per- person was uh, being so hot on this album is because Jettisoning, jettisoning jettisoning, the rest of the band, but keeping the name. I'm like, You don't say things like that if you're just pissed off that he managed to do his own thing. But that was Ned Raggett, and I will find you Ned Raggett.
0: You're going to find him hanging out with Royston with a <laughs> name like that. Okay, well, um, I think that we decided that we're going to start telling you our albums for next week so you can listen along. So... What are, you, what are you bringing to the table next week, Adrian?
1: Well, I'm bringing a 1996 banger rocket by the primitive radio gods.
0: And I'm bringing, I'd have to look up what year it is, probably 1993, actually. Um, we're finally going to have some grunge on this here grunge podcast and talk about uh, Pretty on the Inside by Hole. So that's your homework for next week. Go out and listen to those two
1: and you can find the albums on our comprehensive playlist on Spotify that is called In Our 1990s.
0: Yes, and if you would like to look at the actual spreadsheet that we use to keep track of our list, you can go to bit.ly slash nr1990s in our 1990s. That's bit.ly if you're, not, if you're somehow not familiar with bit.ly. bit.ly slash nr1990s. So until next week, um, keep it 1990s, motherfucker.